everyone, welcome back to the Book and Life podcast. Today we're going to have a brand new book guest on. Whether they're an author, an editor, a producer, you'll never quite know, so you're in for one hell of a ride. But today I just have to uh, do the adverts and then I'll get us straight into that most important conversation. And as as we do every week, um, I'm going to read The Shadow which is part of the Time Guardian series, and this is book four from Marianne Curley. The battle is over, the war is won. The prophecy complete, but life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan, struggling to cope with tragic loss. At odds with friends in the guard, he finds himself adrift, jumping in shadows and sensing someone who can't possibly be there. Blaming herself for the goddess Athena's death, Giselle swears revenge to fullify the immortal's plan for world domination, but Giselle hadn't planned on love, and that leaves her with an unbearable choice. Should she follow her heart or the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectation, who continues to pull her from the grave? As the guard and the order battles through the past and into an impossible future, darkness looks round every corner. The fight for the world's survival rests with just one. Is it friend or foe who stands in the shadow? And just a reminder that The Price of Freedom by Rosemary Aiken, sorry, Rosemary Rowan, um, is being donated to the Ukraine refugee crisis. And here's the blurb for her book. It's uh, one of her... Roman British crime series, which was written under her maiden name. All editions can be found online where all books are sold, even her agents donating her commission. Sorry, I don't have the blurb for that, but uh, that's that's what she's doing. And now, without further ado, let's get you to the guests. Welcome back to the Book and Life podcast, guys. I promised you a phenomenal author, and I could not have picked a better one for you guys this week. I am super excited to welcome this woman who can spin worlds unlike any other. And uh, she's blessed us with her presence today, and hopefully you might learn something and might gain some knowledge and uh, might really enjoy this uh, this journey that she's going to take us on. So without further ado, everyone, please welcome Jan to the show. Did I get Hi that right? Jane. Jane, yeah. I was close. I was close. I'm yeah. Close. Fair enough. Um, yeah, tell us about your new book and, and what was your aha moment that made you write it? So my most recent book that has just come out, um, which is called One of the Boys in the US, and I did it for you in the UK, Um looks at really this idea of genetic testing, um, which is something that we're seeing increasingly um, as something that's that's becoming more and more normal. And the idea that um, lots of things that we're currently dealing with have genetic underpinnings. So I took that idea um, and I applied it to a sort of a specific scenario, I suppose, really, which is an issue that really interests me. I've written about it before, which is the topic of male violence. And I said, if 
male violence has genetic underpinnings because we're now seeing, you know, more and more things are saying, well, it's, it's this gene, it's this gene. Is there a genetic difference in some men and in men versus women that makes men violent? If there is something genetic, we can test for it. If yeah. we can test for it, would you have your newborn son tested to see if he has a genetic predisposition for violent behavior? So that, that's really the idea. If, if we had a genetic test to predict violent male behavior, would you have your newborn son tested? Would you want to know? That is a hell of a question for anybody, I think. And it's a really good one because when, when you're looking at sort of the psychology of, of criminal behavior, particularly in domestic violence, and particularly, you know, between women, and, well, between men focusing on women, it just seems like it's always getting higher. And it seems like no matter what we're doing on a psychological level, it's not really having that impact. So maybe something like this could offer people a ways and means of putting in safeguards or putting in things that could change the direction if they knew about it beforehand but then there's also that kind of would you want to know as a mother that your son could become that yeah I think I think it's not only would you want to know Mm -hmm. but also can you influence the way in which a boy develops by knowing so for example if you have your son tested and it turns out that he does have this genetic predisposition, you are going to treat him differently always because you are going to know something about him. Um, so you are going to you are going to look at his behaviour and you are going to explain it in certain ways. You're going to have certain expectations of how he's going to behave and what he's going to do. You are going to think, I need to punish this. I need to worry about this. Very yeah. differently from if you had a boy where either you thought he was a good boy or you didn't know at all. Yeah, exactly. It would change your your rearing behaviors completely. Yeah, and that 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 would be a hell of a situation for any new, particularly if it's a new mother. You know, she's never had a child before, and that's something that she's got to face and she's got to kind of figure out too. And I, I think that's a really important topic and a really important question to be raising, um, especially as we are seeing sort of advances in genetics we're seeing advances in well what else is there in our you know in our gene dna and everything else that can sort of explain how this world is progressing in the direction that it is and i i think there's more there to think about and uncover especially from a sort of psychological point of view and i I love the fact that you've dived into it and you're shining a light on it and saying well what if you know I think it is a matter of time, to be honest, before we start yeah. um, discovering genetic underpinnings for behaviours in this way. But I do think it's important as well to understand that this is a very simplistic way of looking at it. Yeah. Um, you know, we're starting to identify genes for things, but we don't really know how they work. We don't really know how you get from this gene to this outcome a lot of the time. Yeah. And it's also very important not to overestimate genetics and underestimate environment or vice versa, because it's never one or the other. It's always both working together. Exactly. And you have to, I think it's good though, because if you, if you have a test like that, then you can go and get maybe training in 
sort of more psychological um, and you can sort of figure out ways and, and routines and things that you could do that could yeah. maybe under underline and underpin a lot of what that genetic testing could do just as we take precautions with medicine now and we look at different ways in, in making sure that that's not going to be a thing yeah um i think it's a it's an incredible topic that you've chosen how did you how did you come up with this particular one was there what was your aha moment behind it so this is going to be this is going to be a bit of a, a funny one which may not be quite what readers are expecting but i suspect published writers this may ring a bell with a lot of writers will be sitting on the edge of the seas going oh yeah. what i um, think it is this this is the way it works. So I, I had written a previous book prior to this one, a book called Curfew or uh-huh. After Dark in the UK, which is about a curfew for men. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a book near future Britain. Men are electronically tagged and not allowed out after seven o'clock. They must stay at home to give women safe access to public spaces at night. So I've yeah. written that book and I needed then to write a follow on book from that. I had a book that I was working on um, that I was quite far into and my editors basically turned around and said, you know what? We don't like it. We don't think it fits. Um, It it doesn't kind of match with the first, but we don't think it fits. Can you do something else? So that book was shelved. Um, And for anybody who is unpublished or newly published this is not an uncommon phenomenon this is a thing that yeah this is a thing that that happens all the time you can have published 20 books and the publisher can turn around and go do you know what we don't like it do something else um so I had a very short space of time to come up with some pitches for new ideas for books that were kind of tying with the first one I think I came up with half a dozen ideas um just basically half a dozen what ifs this was on the list. What if we could genetically test for male violence? Would you have your son tested? And the editors went, that, that's the one, that's the one we want. So yep. took that two-line pitch and wrote a book from it. That is incredible. Just to think like you were so set on one particular threaded story and then to be ripped off of it and said, nope, go this way. And, and there must be almost like, because I know when I have to do it, I always have this kind of nagging feeling in my my heart and in my stomach. This is I need to go back and finish what I was working on, but also there's a kind of that conflict of well I don't have the time to go back and finish it. So you kind of almost try and shelf that nagging gut drenching feeling so that you can go back and maybe maybe finish just the story, even if it's just for yourself. But you can finish it and then know that that's finished and know you can go touch it at another date if you ever wanted to revisit it. Um, but do you ever get that sense when they take you off something that you get that kind of horrible gut feeling, that horrible ache in your, your tummy? Um, for me, no, I didn't. With that particular book, I think I was about three quarters of the way into writing it. And I think yeah. I knew it didn't fit and it wasn't oh, okay. working. Yeah. So when they came to me and said, you know, it doesn't fit, we don't like it, it's not working, it was kind of like, okay, yeah, well, actually, I agree. Yeah. Um, it And then it just became a question of time, really, because obviously all the time that had gone into this book, I then needed to get another book written fairly yeah. sharply because I had deadlines and things I had to meet, so I had to get Deadlines are funny like that. They're such a good motivator, but they're also such a good stressor too, and you're like, ah. So yeah, no, I get it, that. you know, once you're published, it's more motivating when they attach money to them, isn't it? 
Yeah, so then you're like, well, you know, I could, I could put that to the holiday or I could put that to the bills or, yeah, yeah no, I get that, um, as, especially for me, like, I, I used to get told, okay, your deadline's this, and then I'd be sitting there drumming my fingers going, the edits are coming, and then that moment when the edits arrive, and I go, oh, no, <laughs> And now I always I, you have to sort of psych yourself up to look at them, don't you? It's yeah, a bit like, like, like I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. I, I yeah. always do it the other first, like I get the email and she always gets one right back that says, just tell me how bad it is. It's like, yeah. how bad is it? You know, and then I'll get like a grade from one to ten. And usually that kind of prepares me a little bit because then I can be like, right, okay, the largest cup of coffee I can make. Let's go, you know, and then yeah. I gotta get myself into it. Do you have that kind of like Yeah, where... um waiting for edits really and then looking at edits is a bit like waiting for exam results. And yep. you get the envelope in your hand and you just don't want to look because you have that bit of time before you've looked when it might not be that bad. Yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, Schrodinger's edits, I suppose. They could be really great or they could be awful and you don't know till you look. Yeah, and it's, it's that that's that way that even like close your eyes and you click the button to open them and you just hold them there for an extra second just how many pages is it yeah it's when they go it's only minor edits and then it's 10 pages long of comments (laughs) yeah and then you're like that's minor (laughs) yeah but you know any any edit really at that stage was going to be not as bad as we need a whole new book (laughs) true 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 very true i i remember getting the edits back i think it was for being amber and uh they were like it's it's minor it's really minor honestly and I was like okay I'm in the hospital so I'm like yeah I can do this I said it's just a minor edit I'm in the hospital I've got nothing else to do I'll I'll do it and I had 22 pages of comments (laughs) and changes and I (laughs) I was like this is minor what the hell would major have looked like so total freak out totally sent another uh, email to my editor going dear god woman what the hell <laughs> and she wrote back she goes well it could have been an entire rewrite well, there like, you go. yeah i was like oh thank god i hope this in the hospital they've got plenty of happy tablets for me they say but i did i did it three weeks in the hospital and then I handed it back, and I was so relieved I handed it back. And then the nurses said I literally slept for like two days, didn't talk to anybody for two days. I was like, <laughs> yeah, makes sense. But it was good because it kept me busy. And, you know, particularly if you've got arthritis and you're in and out of treatments and stuff, sometimes having a book that you know you need to get done or having a book to work on is just, it's, it's a blessing in disguise because you can go, okay now I need to get my button gear and now I need to get this done so yeah I, something to focus on yeah I appreciate yeah. it a lot you know um not so much when you know they send me back edits and I know I wrote the book in three weeks with no sleep <laughs> and I know it's gonna be bad because I did it three weeks with no sleep and I I even put that at the top of the page remember I did this in three weeks with no sleep just excuse any bits that don't make sense <laughs> yeah luckily the book made sense it was just the grammar was completely out of fortunately that's like, what copy editors are for isn't it yes yeah, so like the editor was like oh it's not really that bad you just need to cut it in half and and you know 
the grammar is the issue. And I'm like, well, I did tell you I was dyslexic, so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Go-to excuse. Fantastic. So what are you reading right now that's exciting for you? What What's getting you excited to pick up a book right now? Um, I'm kind of going back in time a little bit, really, I suppose. I've been reading um, a lot of Daphne du Maurier. Um, yeah. beyond sort of Jamaica in and Rebecca because she carried she wrote those books when she was very young yeah um, and she carried on writing for quite a long time after and you can see kind of how her books become more adult and more mature as she gets older yeah. um which is really interesting I've also been reading a lot of Mary Stewart and she wrote sort of gothic mystery did, romances yeah. very tame very gentle you know no violence no sex on the page just but just sort of really gentle um gothic romances which I'm really enjoying I'm kind of in the mood for that at the moment I think everything on the news and elsewhere is so terrible that sometimes you need something that's a little bit yeah you do you need to escape as I'm actually in throne of glass right now the final book because I was like dear lord I need something that's just gonna that just takes me away from all this right now like I need an escape and also I'm doing forensic science psychology sorry forensic psychology this year for my fourth year of uni and I'm like I definitely need an escape because that's a lot and then I also teamed up with advanced creative writing so I'm like really need an escape (laughs) so you know um so that's kind of my my go-to at the moment and I have to say I I'm dreading the end of the book because I've enjoyed the series so much so I'm like I'm almost like I don't want it to end because I then what do you do with yourself where are you going to go next you know and that just means I have to go on and read the finals of the court throne court of thorns and roses series um which is more fey and it's more fairies and stuff like that so that'll be hugely different um and I don't want that one to end so I'm kind of like moving my way through series is that I really need to finish and also I'm doing all the book reviews for the book and live podcast so I've normally got two books on the go and then I've got two textbooks on the go so yes my little desk area kind of looks like a fort at the moment a book fort though so it's a good thing a little bit yeah a little bit uh, my friends came on the other day and they were like Crystal we gotta see you what are you doing and I had the gigantic textbook and all they could see was my eye sticking up <laughs> over the top I'm, I'm studying and they're like we can't even see you. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm studying. <laughs> you know? They like blink um, twice if you need help. <laughs> yeah, God. yeah. They were like, do you need us to come dig you out? And I'm like, can you come make dinner? <laughs> that seems reasonable. <laughs> like, it's a bit long way to come to make dinner, Grizzle. Um, but yeah, no, it's like my online support network is probably the only reason I stay sane half the time as a writer. So. Um, I always encourage writers who listen to the show that are new or just published or just getting into it, find a really good support network online um, and have ones in person too that can come by and just sort of like say, you need a shower and like <laughs> shove you in the shower and leave you there for five minutes, you know, because um, I don't know if you're like me, but when I get really into the depth of a book, everybody just like gets sort of shoved to the sides and I get really focused and I get really into it. And then somebody has to come around and say, you kind of need to shower, Crystal. Plus, plus, writing is by its very nature a solitary pursuit, yeah, is, often yeah. for weeks, months on yep. end. You know, you can go months without having any contact with an agent or an editor or really 
anybody who are left yeah. to your own devices for very, very long stretches of time. And it's one of these things where it's either like nothing for months or then can you do this in three days? Can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? Yep. And you have sort of two weeks of constant and then nothing for six months. It's really strange. It is very strange. And I think for me, like, I move a lot as well. So, like, sometimes I'll be sitting and I'll forget that I'm not in my office. Like, I'm in a coffee shop, I'm supposed to be meeting friends or doing so, And I'll start thinking to myself aloud and I'll be writing. So I'm like the crazy lady in the corner with the notebook kind of thing. And and sometimes writers will come up to me and go, oh, what are you working on? Like, because they instantly re- recognize a, a, an author who's maybe been in solitude for like eight weeks has finally made it to the coffee shop. And it's like, just yeah, to sit in the room to... with other people in it. Yeah, like, and then, you know, they, they just start looking at me like this. Or, or if you're sitting on a train and you get a really good idea and you start writing furiously, and then people start kind of staring at you from the other seats and they just say, What is this person doing? And you're like, thank God you don't recognize me as an author because I would never get anything done. Um, but yeah, I actually, the funniest story is like I was walking around, I, I think it was a couple of weeks ago in Glasgow City Centre. And it was just before Waterstones opened. But the manager recognized me because I'd done a signing there not long ago. And she let me in, he let me in early so that I could go upstairs and sit in the coffee shop and walk around the store on interrupted nobody notices me and I could just do my own thing for a couple of hours and they, they had a little area which they just sort of sectioned off for me and I was I was in heaven I was like yay I can sit and read no one's gonna talk to me or I can sit and write no one's gonna come and harass me for two hours yay so I love I love going into Argyle Street more so it's there because they're so welcoming they're so beautiful people so uh always recommend stopping in there if you guys don't have an opportunity um, the staff in there are truly, truly wonderful. Have you got a favorite spot that you like to go to when you're when you've been in the writing solitude for a while and you need to kind of come out? Um, it's kind of, it's kind of tricky because I kind of have a busy home life. You know, I've I've got teenagers and um, so there's constantly like people in and out and stuff to do. And um, one thing I do really like to do, particularly when I've been in a book for a long time, and you really need that sense of like filling the well. You know, when you just yeah intellectually just a bit empty um is I like to go into London and wander around the art galleries I like to go to the National Gallery and just sit and there are particular pictures I just like to sit in front of and just look at I don't know why but I find that really um a really peaceful yeah well I think and it's it's art and it's creative but it's different to writing it's a different skill it's not a skill I personally have but it's one that I yeah I find really inspirational for me, it's like soaking up humans, like watching other humans sort of interacting. And in Glasgow, it's such a melting pot. So, you know, if you go into Edinburgh, you've got one set of people in every area. So you kind of know what you're going to be seeing in certain areas. But when you go into Glasgow, it doesn't matter what store you go into, what time of day you go into. It's just a melting pot of all these different walks of life, different classes, different, you know, back- backgrounds and all this sort of stuff. So I like to particularly sit on the train and take the train in and just see all the different people and like how the kids are and what the kids are doing or how the adults are talking to each other or how quiet the train is sometimes um I find that just that's like my source because a lot of the time I get I get little stuck on dialogue and I think for that it just reminds me okay well this is how other people talk you know this is how 
other people interact with each other and, and it it's just our kind of refreshes me and gets me really back into the swing of writing. So what is your you know, what's your readers got to look forward to in the, in this kind of upcoming year? What what is it that they can get excited about? Um, at the moment, I'm working on a book. I've been working on a book this year, which is kind of in similar genre. So it's kind of speculative. Um, yeah. What if with a technological base? And it, it's about um, a company which invents an app which can scrape through your entire internet history. And oh. then, oh, yeah. yeah, you know, all the stuff you've looked at when nobody yep. was there and the messages you've posted under sock puppet, sock puppet names and, you know, the yep. places you've been and literally everything um, and create a profile about you based on its ability to scrape your entire internet history. So it's it's really about this idea of you've got nothing to fear, if you've got nothing to hide. But let's be honest, we've all got oh yes, we've we all do. got something to hide, haven't we? Especially um, as writers, because I'm sitting here thinking I'm doing players, so, so forensic science. So all of those weird and wonderful words that I've had to look up recently, you know, that could get taken so out of context. Yeah, <laughs> you it, know, it really explores this idea. I think that we are beginning to understand now that all the tech companies, there are some specific tech companies doing it, but also all the social media companies have been mining data from our online habits for yep. years. We kind of, so we understand now that they are tracking what we do and that they're looking yep. at stuff. But I think we've only seen the tip of the iceberg in terms of what they're going to do with this information. I think the majority of us don't really understand what sort of information they have on us um yeah so you know you know they're, they're tracking all these sorts of weird and random data points and because this stuff is analyzed by computer rather than by humans they are able to see patterns within the data that a human brain we just can't work through it fast enough to be able to see the patterns so they can analyze you know ten thousand data points for fifty thousand people and they yeah. can see behavioral patterns emerge that we couldn't pick out. Um, and then they can say, okay, this person is on, has this particular pattern show up in their data. We know that other people with this particular pattern who show up in their data are likely to vote this way, or are more likely to buy yeah. this, or are more likely to like this television program, or eat this food, or go to this place, or behave in this way. And we all understand that that's then used for targeted advertising. You know, it, it's been used yeah. to sell everything from trainers to cars to political parties. Um, but it's really about, yeah, what, what, what are they really going to be able to do with this data long term? And yeah. what's going to happen if our privacy really disappears, our online privacy? For example, the police can access online stuff that at the moment they can't access. Yeah, and but then we could look at it in a different way as well. Like, how could, from a, an inspector, detective inspector's point of view, narrow down suspects by using the pattern behavior or even having some say somebody's gone missing? What can they get from that person's data and the data that of the people that they've talked to and the patterns that they can find there that might lead them to where that person is or yeah. where the body has gone or 
you know, even just to get answers for the family. So there's like, there could be a really good use for it, but I can also see what you're saying in the really sense that this could be a really extreme bad. Um, yeah. It's, it's another I, one of these, these same ideas, isn't it? That you can yeah. see there were really strong social positive Art social people. goods with this, yeah. but at the same time, it's got a dark side to it. Yeah. And it, especially if, say, the corruption is police based too. Yeah. You know, how are we ever going to know? How are we ever going to figure that out? Because if they have access to that, they have access to patents, then who's watching them? Who's going to be making sure that they're not using these patents in these particular situations? Yeah. And I think everybody will agree over the, past, yeah, yeah. over the past couple of years, we've seen this real sudden switch in scrutiny away from sort of um, what police are doing. Police are doing all these great things to actually the police themselves and some very difficult questions are being asked yes of the police night you know at the moment and it's becoming increasingly apparent i think that certain aspects particularly it seems of male behavior are a feature not a bug of the type of gentleman that applies to join the police yeah. force and and i think also you know with the fact that we've had a police officer who's kidnapped a woman and killed her in such a brutal fashion that's raised questions here in the uk that we don't normally or we haven't up to this point really looked at because it's been more of an American problem. It's been more of their certain country's problem compared to us where we had a certain level of respect for the police, but we also had a certain level of cynicism for them as well. But I think and, fear as well. I think yeah, a lot fear of people as well, are yeah. afraid and, of the police. And I think we'd watched what was going on in America and said, oh, well, that's never going to happen here. And now it has happened here. And now we're kind of a little bit more, I would say, a proactive audience in that regard, where we're like, well, no, actually, the, the, this is not going to happen in our country. We're not going to let this become a thing. Let's do something about it now. And, you know, I always look at America right now and think, how have they reached 500 mass shootings this year already? You know? yeah, the mass shootings are a really interesting thing. I mean, you know, yeah. the obvious Brit response to this is always, well, because you can buy a gun in Walmart. Um, yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah. But, but I, we, I... Also, we also know, um, I think it, it has been shown quite conclusively, that the time when a mass shooting is most likely is six weeks after a mass shooting has just occurred. Yep. Because people copy what they've seen. So we yep. also have to be really careful. There's a there's a, a role to play here as well with the media, um, yeah. with news reporting and how they report on these stories. Because there's a definite link between how they report and a certain type of individual then being encouraged to think, that looks like a good idea. I'm going to go do that. Yeah, um, exactly. And, and, and now they, we have 24-hour, 24-7, algorithm-driven, click-driven news stories where news is sold to us in a certain way constantly you can find news wherever you are it's on somewhere um you can go on youtube you know wherever and watch videos of murders being uploaded live streamed onto youtube that people can watch another yeah just yeah but that aspect of it as well i think has a role to play the way we present news to people now that that could be an extremely interesting uh look into the book as well if you did it from the sort of criminal perspective but you also did it from the the detective's perspective at the same time that could be an incredible story for 
for any reader out there who really wants to sort of dive into it further. Yeah, I think all these modern technologies that the technologies are moving very quickly. We don't really understand them yet. We haven't really caught up with them. The law most certainly hasn't caught up with these technologies yet because we know the law is always slow. The law is always behind where the technology is. You know, if you look back even at something like um, mass-produced cigarettes, mass-produced smoking, um, that was yeah. a new technology at one point, and it was it was advertised, and they said, look, it's good for you. Look, it's healthy, and you should all be doing it. It makes you attractive and slim and you know, they really sold us smoking. And then, of course, we began to see the, the health downsides of smoking. And we started yeah. legislating, saying, actually, you can't advertise to children. You can't sell to children. Yep. You've got to put them in restricted places. But it was slow to it catch up. It was too up. late in, in a way, yeah. And I always think it's sometimes like, how do I put this nicely? But like population control, sometimes I think, <laughs> you know. Like sometimes they just test stuff on us and then they're like, well, if the population goes down, we know it's a bad thing. Yeah. You know, if people die, then we know it's a bad idea. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think that's what we're going to see with vaping. I think that's going oh, to be the vaping. Thing. Yeah. And vaping yeah. is really interesting um, because what you can see with vaping is that the companies that are developing vapes are using Big Tobacco's playbook to do. Yeah everything exactly. how it's advertised what it looks like how it's packaged how it's sold they're just following that playbook and they're just um, making a fortune of it yeah yeah well they wait for the law the health data to come in and the law to catch up but i don't think there's anybody who believes really that we are not going to see negative health consequences from vaping. exactly i mean I, i've seen the difference of, of a lot of friends who've had exceedingly healthy lungs who then go just to coughing maybe 12 14 times a day because they vape for two weeks and i'm like well there's got to be something that's irritating the sacs of your lungs that's causing you to cough and causing you to have mucus issues and stuff like that so yeah to me i i i did smoke as a teenager i did fall victim to tobacco and stuff but i got i got off it when i realized it was having a, a negative impact on me so when they all switched to vaping, I watched them and I was like, nope, I'm not falling down that rabbit hole. I'm going no, to be good. I'm yeah. completely clear of this. I've got enough problems as is. I, I, yeah, good luck with that one. Uh, and, and I kind of got clear of it. But I think, you know, these are big issues that having authors like yourself shine lights on is super important because it kind of gives people a better idea moving forward of you know what to expect what to kind of protect the children from or at least guide them in such a way that they understand that their actions have consequences and the consequences would be something like blah 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 blah. um but you did it you survived the book and life podcast it's that quick it's that easy it's that over with um it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and I, I'm excited about your new upcoming book and I can't wait to have you back so we can talk about it in more detail because I think it's a very interesting subject. Um, but yeah, guys, make sure you come back next week as we've got another incredible author who's popping on for her. a little half-hour chat and a little uh, insight into their world and what they're up to. So you're not going to want to miss that. But for now, be safe. Uh, take care of yourself, guys. And we will see you again on Monday.